Hi, listeners, and welcome to the True Crime Weekly Podcast, a podcast that is based in San Diego and hosted by me, Alina Trujillo, and my producer, Jose Fernandez. This is a podcast where I will be bringing you stories of murders, infamous cases, and unsolved mysteries. On April 5th, 1968, the day after Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated, Dozens of cities had already burned as anger and frustration reached volatile levels in black communities across the country. Yet Pittsburgh remained quiet. Governor Raymond Schaffer has been asked to close all local liquor stores, but Governor Schaffer would refuse, saying that he would not close liquor stores unless there was trouble. Then, a voice from the back of the room yells, If that's all it takes, they got it. This is the story of the capture of Leonard Rain Moses. For this episode, we have a special guest. So I decided to bring along my work wifey because this story is going to touch a little bit on what we do on a day to day in our office job. The podcast is not our only job. I wish it was, but it's not. So we do have a day job. And the story touches a little bit on pharmacies, which is where our line of work is. So I want to introduce to you guys, Marissa Manili. Uh, hi. hi, thanks for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, so you want to talk a little bit about what we do? Our line of business is pharmacy. And once you guys hear the story, it does touch on that. So I'm excited to be here and talk about the story. Let's just get right into the story. So the Bryants lasted seven days, and those were seven days that were spurred by shock and disbelief that the man who utilized nonviolence to fight for justice had become a victim of violence himself. In those seven days, more than 100 businesses had been vandalized or looted. Demonstrators had set 500 arson fires, and 36 people were injured, and there was one person dead. That death was of a 72-year-old woman named Mary Amplo. Mary had been inside her home when five men showed up throwing Molotov cocktails into her home. Mary suffered third-degree burns across 55% of her body, but Mary would eventually succumb to her injuries in July of 1968. So, Alina, this mm-hmm. is kind of like the George Floyd riots today. Yeah, I guess. Yes. And it's interesting you say that because when I was doing my research for this story, a lot of the people that were around in the 60s in Pittsburgh for these riots, they actually got interviewed. And most of them said how a lot of the riots today for George Floyd actually reminded them of the riots back in the 60s. Okay, yeah, that's what it kind of sounds like. Yeah, it's kind of familiar. It is. The unrest lasted through April 11th with 3,600 National Guardsmen that were called upon to put an end to it. And about 1,000 arrests were made, and one of them was a 15-year-old boy at the time named Leonard Rain Moses. Now, Leonard and four of his friends had shown up at Mary's house and had set it on fire with a Molotov cocktail. Then, on January of 1970, now 17-year-old Leonard was found guilty of first-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison, okay? While Leonard is in prison, he gets news that his grandmother had passed away. And on June 1st of 1971, 
Leonard is allowed to attend his grandmother's funeral. And while attending the funeral, Leonard managed to escape from law enforcement officials. Now, Mer, don't ask me how. <laughs> so it's not like they were like, okay, yeah, sure, sir. You can go and attend the funeral. Come back at this time. So obviously there were officers there, but in my research, I couldn't find like how he even was able to trick them or if they were like, hey, look over there. And then he ran, <laughs> you know, I have no idea, but he somehow escaped. And he was only 18 then it seems like. He was 18. During the time of the riots, he was 15. So now, you know, three years had passed and now this has happened. So in July of that year, authorities issued a federal warrant for Leonard Ramos' arrest after he was charged with unlawful flight to avoid confinement. So after Leonard's escape, the FBI started looking at people who knew Leonard and following up on him. And they ended up getting 2,000 tips. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So agents traveled to several states following these tips. And they even started offering a $10,000 reward. And the FBI even ended up putting up billboards of Leonard in Michigan, North Carolina, Georgia, and Florida, seeking for the public's help. But none of those panned out. Okay, Mer, so get this. It wasn't until 2016 that all of a sudden, authorities somehow got a lead or a tip. I don't know. But they started to believe that Leonard may have fled to Detroit. So this is over 40 years later. Yeah. That they still have this guy like mm -hmm. tracking him somehow. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It seemed like they never let this guy go. Like it seemed they were constantly actively looking for him. Which is weird, right? Because we talk about or you talk about are these cold cases mm -hmm. that's going on in these cases of murders on the loose that right. are just, you know, we can't find him and yeah. they just kind of let it go. Mm -hmm. But for him, they just keep on it and on it. And now it's 40 years later and they're still looking for him. I wonder if it's because he got away or right. why. It's... Oh, kind of like they dropped the ball. So it's like, oh, my gosh, let's cover a track. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It just seems like weird why they're so serious on him. But there's all these other cases. It's like, oh, we've never found, you know. It's true. It's true. And I get that. But I wonder if it's also because, I mean, the guy escaped prison. So it's not like, oh, we want him for questioning. Right. It's like, no, he was in custody. He got his sentence and he escaped. So I wonder if maybe that's why. But they I mean, still I want get, him to do time for his crime. Right. But I mean, I get it. Yeah, it's true. It's like, how can you invest this much time on this guy? But yet you still have cold cases that, you know, potentially people just give up on. Right. But yeah. Yeah, you're right. I totally get that. Even though like just how we're saying, you know, they never gave up on this guy. But even that lead in 2016, it never panned out for them. Okay, so they're still trying. They never stopped looking for him. They wouldn't catch a break in this case until November of 2020. That was fantastic, Jose. You want to know what I just did? What'd you do? I just tried. I opened up, and you don't get any. I opened up the new wine that I received from Wine of the Month Club. So do you, Jose, want to treat yourself or someone special to great wines month after month? I would love to. Well, now you can with Wine of the Month Club. With Wine of the Month Club, you get three different bottles of rare international wine every month. You get to choose from all red, all white, or mixed. You can also choose to do a package every two months or three months if that's a better option for you. And every package ships with their monthly newsletter covering your selections and our listener favorites. Fun facts! 
We are a proud affiliate, which means if you go to truecrimeweeklypodcast.com forward slash support the show and click on the Wine of the Club Month link and sign up, we will earn a commission. You can support the show and get wine delivered to your door by using promo code HOLIDAY15 to get $15 off any four-month club, or you can use promo code HOLIDAY20 for $20 off any six-month club. Which sounds like a win-win to me. You get to stay home during this COVID-19 pandemic, quarantine by yourself, and your wines. And they ship free. What? Hey, Jose. So you know that during this pandemic, it could even be scary to go to the grocery store sometimes? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you can save yourself that trip using Instacart. Instacart delivers groceries in as fast as one hour. Instacart highlights deals to help you save money. They find everything you usually buy. You can get smart suggestions for new items. They even pick the freshest produce and they keep your eggs safe too. We are a proud affiliate of Instacart. So head over to truecrimeweeklypodcast.com forward slash support the show and click their link. Okay, so after he escaped prison, Leonard began a new life for himself in Michigan. He changed his name to Paul Dixon, and he began working as a traveling pharmacist for CVS. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So, yes, that's where that comes in. Yes. Okay. So, guess what I did? I went to the State Board of Pharmacy, which it's public information, okay? But I was really nosy because I was like, this is our job. We have to be nosy. Right. (laughs) So, I tried to pull up his license. I searched the name Paul Dixon. It didn't come up with anything. Oh, wow. Yeah, because I wanted to see his, you know how, okay, so usually me and Marissa, we credential pharmacies. So we'll look at the pharmacy license and the pharmacist in charge license just to make sure that their status is clear, make sure that there's no probation status on their license, right? So I was curious because I was like, okay, it sounds like CBS might have charged him with something, which means that the case would still be pending which means it would be on his license. So I went, I tried to look, I couldn't find him. This is where all my questions come in then, because then I wonder, did he go to pharmacy school, right? And this, how many years has this been, right? Like over 20 years. So did he somehow go to pharmacy school and then he gets a pharmacy license? Mm -hmm. Or, and then now all of a sudden CVS hires him or did CVS not check that he had a pharmacist license on file? Or that's where all my questions start. I have some answers, okay? Okay. Because... I was on the same boat as you. So I started searching to see if, did he go to school? Like while he was, because he was 18. So he was 18 when he went to the funeral escape and just vanished. Right. So I was like, did he go back to school? You know, get this. I couldn't find anything. Wow. So I thought that was kind of odd too, because I mean, I don't know. I know this is our job, but you can't, I can't just apply for a pharmacist license, right? Like don't I have to show some sort of, I don't know, school education or something, right? This is what, I, yeah, where all my questions start because he would have to take an exam mm-hmm. to go ahead and apply in the state of Michigan. So right. did he not do that? Or maybe he forged those documents, which we've seen yeah. in the past. <laughs> you know, he definitely could have maybe forged their his license yeah. to, in order to get hired. And then why pharmacy, right? Is it my I other know. question? But even in what I'm licensed for, I was fingerprinted. Oh, so you what, were? Yes. And so what What's weird to me is that he wouldn't even be fingerprinted, but I know there's different rules and laws in different states. And then maybe the way CVS does hiring, there's of course a lot of questions and then he changed his name. So now he's a whole new person, right? Yeah. So, So, okay. But that's interesting though. So they took your fingerprints. So did they 
run your fingerprints through a database? Do you know? Honestly, I don't know. I mean, I would think if they take them, then they would run them. But it's weird to me that he just would slip into with this type of job, you know, when you're around drugs and you're around certain people that, you know, need this medication. And then they're like, okay, here you go. Yeah. Well, especially for him. I mean, it kind of sounds to uh, maybe somebody that doesn't know much about it. It kind of sounds like a, you know lay low type of job but it's not because to your point yeah there's background checks there's all this stuff so i mean yeah that's a good question i wonder why he picked that right this is interesting yeah so okay well a loss prevention manager from cvs was investigating a report of 80 missing hydrocodone pills from the pharmacy where leonard aka paul had been working at on december 26 okay so 80 pills had gone missing from a certain location because Paul was also, he was kind of like a floater. So he was a traveling pharmacist. He wasn't actually tied down to one particular CVS. Which could make a little sense because he's not considered what, you know, we see every day a pharmacist in charge. Right. So I think that that's even more to your point about a laying low type thing, because if you're traveling he's not necessarily in charge of one facility or one location. So that helps him lay low. I don't know if that's per, he did that on purpose, but I think that would help. Yeah. See, you even hear Cosmo barking. He's like, he's trying to take a bite out of crime. (laughs) (laughs) He's trying to help us with this. Uh, Yeah. I don't know if you guys can hear him barking in his sleep, but (laughs) he's trying to help. So, okay. So that's interesting though. So then I know that we have seen like traveling pharmacists in our line of work, but so then is that what it means? I mean, they don't, Maybe they don't go through the same background checks or, I mean, I don't know. It seems like they do, to, I would think, to get their license, which we don't know what happened here. But right. then under the CVS, I think, umbrella is that they don't, they're not responsible for that store. So, I mean, that, that staff, their inventory, they're not oh. signing off saying they received this many pills of, you know, so maybe that's where he thought he could get away with some of this, where he's not in charge of, you know, just one location. So right. Maybe that so helped. he wouldn't be the one that's questioned for these 80 pills that just happened to go missing right right? it would be the pharmacy manager which it doesn't sound like he was so i don't know if that's part of his plan but yeah (laughs) see that's why i thought you were perfect for this episode (laughs) okay so okay that makes sense so a security camera showed leonard aka paul pocketing the pills though so you know you can't really get out of that right well he did try though because at that point the loss prevention manager interviewed leonard on january 23rd and they asked him about the missing pills. He then said they were inadvertently pocketed. Mm. So, oops, they kind of just fell in. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so when a manager asked what he did with the pills, Leonard said, oh, I just threw them out the window on my way home. That's it. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's you know, a good excuse, I guess. Yeah, you know, they <laughs> fell in my pocket. I noticed it and I was like, oh, I don't want these. Throw them out. <laughs> So Leonard told the manager that he was willing to pay CBS for the lost pills. But CBS contacted the police instead and they filed criminal charges against him. I'm not too familiar. I know, Marissa, you are. Hydrocodone pills, are those expensive? I mean, there was 80 that were missing, but are they expensive? So no, not in the CVS world. They want to be expensive. On a street price, yes, definitely. Oh. So I think obviously people steal them to sell them. Mm-hmm. And then maybe you could get 5 or $10 a pill on the street. But oh. CVS's price to purchase them, it's super cheap. So I could see why CVS is like, one, it's you know a criminal charge. But two, right. they're not going to take 25 bucks over Yeah, they're somebody. like, no, 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 <laughs> don't pay us back. Don't worry. Right. We're just going to call the police. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, so, yeah. so maybe that is what he was doing then. It's like 
pocketing them just so he can turn around and sell them on the streets. Right. Is he selling them or is it personal? Yeah, right. We don't know. Okay. While Leonard is in custody, obviously he gets fingerprinted and they get entered into a system. Now, I believe that he was probably out on bail, but that's what I'm assuming since it's not known. But local law enforcement were able to match his fingerprints with fingerprint scan from his 1968 arrest through the FBI's advanced next generation identification system. So it seems like CVS filed the charges. Obviously, they arrested him. They took his fingerprints. And I think that's where he posted bail. And he went back home. Oh, wow. Because when the FBI got that match... They were like, oh, my God, we got him. This is Leonard. (gasps) And that's how they were like, wait a minute. But Michigan is saying that his name is Paul. But that's not the name we have. So that's how they were able to track him down. They're like, we've been looking for this guy. For 40 something years. Yes. Oh, my gosh. So I think it's also interesting that you're saying, you know, to get that pharmacist license, you would need to get fingerprinted. So I think that's interesting. You know, maybe he he forged a license. Maybe it wasn't even a real license. Maybe that's why I couldn't find anything mm-hmm. on the State Board of Pharmacy. But this ultimately led to his arrest and capture on November 12th, 2020. So recent. So this yes. did happen very recently. Yes. And this is almost a case like a 45-year-old case. Yes. So Leonard Ray Moses was in his home in Grand Blanc, Michigan, when the FBI's Detroit Fugitive Task Force agents showed up at his home and arrested him. And he's currently awaiting extradition hearing and still faces charges from the state before he is brought back to Pennsylvania. So Pennsylvania is where, you know, he was serving his time for Mary's murder. So that's going to be interesting how that plays out then, right? Mm -hmm. Are they going to give him his regular sentence, which was life? Or, I mean, now he has to be 50-something years old, I'm assuming? Okay, so hold that thought because we're going to get into that in just a second, okay? okay? So hold that thought. So the FBI gave the following statements regarding Leonard's arrest, okay? And I quote, I hope this arrest brings some closure to the family members of Mary Amplo who was killed back in 1968. Mr. Moses will now have to face justice for her murder. Through coordination with the Allegheny County Sheriff's Office and our partners in Michigan, we were able to identify Mr. Moses using the FBI's next generation identification system. It's these new advances in technology that the FBI must continue to identify and use to make sure those who commit crimes are brought to justice, end quote. So to me, this mm-hmm. almost sounds like world's dumbest criminals, right? <laughs> yeah. Because he was getting away with this second life, kind mm-hmm. of, as a pharmacist. And pharmacists, as we know, make mm-hmm. a pretty decent wage. Yeah. And then he decides to steal some pills, get know, fingerprinted. It's, and mm-hmm. it's like, to me, it's a dumb thing to do because it's he's true. gotten off for so many years yeah. living a decent life. And now here he is. I mean, it's true. You know what? I didn't even think about it that way. But yeah, why would he be so stupid to steal something? I mean... You know that you're on the run, technically. I mean, I'm sure he probably already felt comfortable, like, I've already dodged them for this many years. They're never going to catch me. But why would you risk it? You know, I'd be, like, following the speed limit, not running any lights. You know, like... Like, he just got lazy almost, you know, because it's been so long. So it's like, well, they haven't caught me yet. So let me just kind of do whatever I want now. But I'm like, that's, to me, like, a dumb criminal almost. I mean, it's true because... 
he was caught on camera pocketing these pills. Right. I mean, that's another thing. Like, when I used to work at Target, I knew the location of the cameras. They tell you. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I don't know. You would think in a pharmacy, you know where those cameras are at. I mean, me and you, we've gone and visited pharmacies and we can see where the cameras are at. And we're not even like we're just there visiting that pharmacy to audit them. You know, it's like. And nowadays, they know that there's cameras everywhere. It's not like way back where, oh, there wasn't really cameras. But now right. there's cameras everywhere. And yes. so for him not to think that, that's where I'm thinking he either just got lazy mm-hmm. or he thought, even if I got caught, like he said, oh, I'll just pay them back for it. It won't be a big deal. Yeah. But for them to take it this far and now he's going to have to, you know, serve maybe his life. Yeah. Well, he was already sentenced to life in prison. So who knows what, you know, what the sentence will be now on top of the life sentence that he already had. Which makes me think maybe he didn't go through maybe pharmacy school. Because mm-hmm. obviously in pharmacy school, yeah. becoming a pharmacist, you go through pharmacy law and you're right. you know, you're taught all these things about cameras and theft and right. maybe he didn't go through that schooling. That's makes me think even more that he didn't even go through that schooling to become a pharmacist. That's true. Yeah, so everything was just one big fake lie that he decided to throw away right. for what? <laughs> a few pills. Right. <laughs> Now, I want to get your take on this because I read an article on All That's Interesting and they wrote this about Leonard and his capture. And I'm going to read you just this portion of the article because I found it so interesting and I wanted to see what your thoughts were about it. Okay. And this has to do with, you know, the life sentence that he had already gotten back when he was 15 years old. Okay. And I didn't know this. This is why I thought it was interesting. So let me read you this portion of the article. It says, Moses is far from the only individual facing lifelong imprisonment based on a long ago crime committed in his youth. According to the Sentencing Project, a nonprofit organization committed to research and advocacy over the life sentencing of youths, there were 2,310 people serving life without parole sentences for crimes committed as juveniles at the end of 2016. But a Supreme Court ruling a few years before has begun to take effect. In 2012, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that sentencing a juvenile perpetrator to life imprisonment without parole amounted to cruel and unusual punishment. Four years later, the Supreme Court resolved that decision would apply retroactively, meaning that any life convictions towards youth in cases that took place before the 2012 ruling would come under review. But the mass volume of juveniles sentenced with life prison terms within the country's incarceration system has led to a small portion of defendants having their sentences overturned or released based on Supreme Court ruling. Many minors, including those as young as 13 years old, sentenced to life in prison without parole, are still waiting for their cases to be reviewed. Let me know what you think, Mark. But what I get out of this is that he might not even have to serve that life sentence based on what they're saying. Yeah, because it seems harsh now, right? Maybe back Mm -hmm. when he was arrested. But I can't imagine seeing a a 15 or 16-year-old getting a life sentence. Even if they're saying, okay, they threw these fire lit, you know, things into this person's The Molotov house. Yes. Uh-huh. And they ended up, she ended up dying, which is horrible. But I just, I still can't see them sentencing somebody to life. So it seems very harsh. Okay. So you do, you, you agree with it. But I mean, for me, I don't get that. Cause at the end of the day, I mean, yeah, you were 15, but you intentionally, like you threw this Molotov cocktail into somebody's home. Like you don't know if somebody's home or not, but 
it seemed like you didn't even care. You're right. But if somebody, it's 15, are they thinking that, right? Which is hard because I think, yeah, if they intentionally wanted to kill somebody, then he should be sentenced and he should, you know, serve his time. But right. it's hard because we don't, what did the trial say, right? Did he yeah. say that they meant to do it? It's obviously during this time of the riot. So all this craziness is happening. Not that that makes it okay, right? right. But to say that all these youths, even you said by the age of 13, was sentenced to life back then, that's crazy. I know. Yeah. I mean, it is crazy for me to even think of a 13 year old that's being sentenced to life in prison, you know? I, I'm assuming that those 13-year-olds probably maybe committed murder. You right, know, to get life. Yeah, they have life? to do something pretty bad to right. get life. Yeah, so that's interesting to think now he's probably going to be held to something. But if they were going to bring his case forward anyways because of whatever was decided between the Supreme Court, then I wonder what they would say at this time. Yeah, I'm wondering what... I, I wonder what the outcome of this case is going to be. It's going to be very interesting to follow, you know? Because, mm-hmm. yeah, I wonder if, at the end of the day, I wonder if he could have gone away with his crime that he did in the 60s, or maybe, like, he could have gone away with it, but now he's not because right. he escaped. Right. You know? I don't know. It's going to be interesting to find out. Yeah. We'll have to, you'll have to keep me posted. Yeah. I'll definitely have to provide an update on this case for sure. If you want to look at pictures and want more information on the cases we cover, you can head over to truecrimeweeklypodcast.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at Podcast True Crime Weekly. And please don't forget to support the show by going to truecrimeweeklypodcast.com forward slash support the show. And I would truly love it and appreciate it if you would leave a five-star review and subscribe onto Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen. This is the only way that people find out about us, through subscribers and reviews. Thanks for listening.